Well, hello. Um, thanks for uh, attending this meeting today. Today we're going to have 17 minutes of science and uh, we're going to talk about some therapeutic discovery in rare disease. And my guest speaker is Dr. Ethan Perlstein. Hi, hello. Ethan. How's it going? How's it going, Chris? Thanks for having me on. Ah, it's, it's a pleasure. Well, I'd like to give everybody a little bit of background before I sort of start the timer on 17 minutes of science. Um, you know, Ethan, uh, I've known for now about a couple of years, um, been collaborating together a bit, um, you know, and I found that Ethan is incredibly passionate about rare disease, and he's been, he's been in that space for more than a decade. Um, he got his PhD at Harvard University in the uh, Stuart Schreiber's lab, and then as a postdoc in the uh, Lewis Seiger Institute at Princeton, um, Ethan was a champion for finding repurposing in old drugs. Um, and so he's had 19 peer-reviewed uh, publications that have culminated in his, his involvement in the startups that focus in rare disease. You know, he's become a tireless champion uh, to help families in rare disease and help them solve their diagnostic odyssey by finding new drugs. And his big focus uh, recently has been to find the cost-efficient methods to repurpose old drugs. So I'll go through to you, um, uh, Ethan, with so your first question here. Yep. Um, your first uh, biotech back in 2014 was Prolara. Yep. You know, can you tell me a little bit about that, what that journey's been like and, and what, what you've learned on that journey? Uh, learned so, so much. Um, I mean, the, the Prolara really started with a simple concept um, that... The, the most entrepreneurial and most motivated families that are battling a long tail genetic disease uh, make great business partners. Um, even though those families don't have any scientific background or you know, didn't want to be involved in, in therapeutics, uh, did not choose that fate, but they step up to the occasion. Um, and there's, um, you, you know, it, it's, you just see it over and over again, where you talk to a parent with a child with a genetic disease. And it sounds like you're often talking to a, a scientist who, who's been studying, you know, this particular disease for, for their career. That's how well, uh, you know, these highly motivated families kind of soak up the science and, and just kind of step into this role that they didn't ask to, to be in. And so I kind of just realized that that would be, um, you know, they would be such great people to, to, to build businesses with and to do research with. And that was really the, the, the germ of Perlara. Um, and, the, and the major learning um, was that uh, you, you really can go quite a distance with a family that's, you know, never in, been involved in, in, in R&D before. Um, and in fact, you know, I think the, the biggest learning actually is that uh, underestimating uh, these families is sort of something you do at your peril and that, you know, pharma and, 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 the, and the industry as a whole sort of looks at these, these cases as sort of edge cases and looks at these, you know, groups and families as well, you know, they're just often some tiny little corner um, battling their disease. But uh, I think underestimating them is, uh, is, is a mistake. Uh, and that I hope to kind of prove that, um, that, that highly motivated parents and, and, and families can become biotech entrepreneurs and company builders in their own right. Oh, that's that's excellent, and I you know I've observed sort of the same thing with families. They're they're incredibly passionate, and it's amazing to see the mom and the dads get so educated that we're getting informed as scientists, and right. they, they know more about the subject matter often than we do. Right, when we first come across it, pretty amazing. Shout out to those family groups out there. Amazing and passionate and, and, and love what you're doing. And, and we, we, you know, Parlara and uh, our company in vivo biosystems, we're, we're passionate to help you and help you get there. You know, uh, Ethan, can you tell me a little bit about sort of how you are doing this and, and creating, um, you're creating these solutions, maybe even a little bit about PN, uh, the, your, your um, 
PMM2 example. Um, talk about maybe a little bit about how you've, uh, you know, how you went about that, you know, the how the model organisms helped you, um, how that sort of reduced the cost, you know, just mm -hmm. give us a little bit about sort of what's the process that it takes for a family to go, okay, I'm game, I want to play, mm -hmm. I want to solve some disease, let's go. Yeah, so the, you know, the Cure Odyssey, you know, as I, as I like to talk about it, you know, uh, kind of gets started where you are able to create a set of patient avatars, right, and so these would be simple model organisms where you can take specific genetic mutations and program them into these animals and create very specific versions uh, of a disease. In fact, maybe even create a particular child's version of a disease. And this is really, really useful in cases where, you know, you don't have a mouse model. And, and when people talk about animal models, they almost always mean mouse models, <laughs> even though yeast and worms and flies are perfectly legitimate animals. Um, but in the case of PMM2, phosphomannomutase deficiency, which is still a, a, you know, a rare disease, um, but you know, it's classified as an, an inborn error of metabolism, the challenge with PMM2 is that there was no viable mouse model, like the, the mice were just embryonic lethal. Um, and so it just was very challenging to create. And then when they dialed in specific patient mutations that are common in PMM2, the mice kind of weren't sick enough. So there was this problem of finding the just right kind of mouse model that was sick, but not too sick. And, and, and so what we did is just sort of flip the table and say, well, you know, PMM2 is a really old gene. It's an ancient pathway. Um, and you can, you can kind of uh, observe this pathway of, of, of glycosylation of proteins. So sugars being attached to proteins that's happening in a single celled yeast organism. It's happening in all of our cells at all times of life. And so taking advantage of that evolutionary conservation, we realized, okay, well, the mice aren't cooperating fine. Let's start with yeast. Uh, and then, and then they cooperated quite nicely. Um, and uh, then we moved up to kind of worms and we just go up the, the, the phylogenetic uh, elevator here to more and more complex species. And then we found out that we didn't even need to test a mouse. We had so much conviction based around this, this drug that's actually now in the clinic and it's a repurposed drug, as you said, we didn't need a mouse model to give us conviction. Uh, we were able to understand its mechanism. Um, and because it was a, a known drug with a proven safety record, although not necessarily in kids, but we've now sort of said, uh, okay, well, We'll go to the patient because that's the ultimate yes or no or go no go decision, um, and that that decision has proved to to be to, to worked out. And so, 16 months later, our first N of one, our our, our patient with PMM two, um, you know, is is sort of experienced amazing quality of life gains and is now sort of at a, in a much stronger position um, and a higher baseline to start getting the next wave of therapies because repurposing is just sort of the start. So yeah, so so making these patient avatars. Um, you know, not fretting about not having a mouse model and saying, fine, for some of these pathways that are super conserved, you can use simple organisms and, and you'll do just fine. And you can even skip the mouse and, it, and, and, and you're not no worse to wear. So I think that that is kind of the example that I, I like to talk about because it went all the way from yeast to the clinic. And it's something that can be scaled because there are many other diseases that fit that profile of PMM too. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, great overview of, of this amazing success you know this success story got to these n one trials this the 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 this is maggie right she's yes, she's doing correct. quite well can you tell us a little bit more about sort of how maggie's doing and uh maybe a little bit more about sort of uh the trials i think they're ongoing at, at mayo and you've got a company now called maggie's uh pearl i pearl. think yeah uh, so tell us a little bit more about maggie and and and, and her story and how this is uh, helping other kids yeah, so Maggie uh, um, started getting this drug called the Palrostat, 
uh, back in January of 2020. So while 2020 was sort of a pretty lousy year for the world, it was actually a pretty a solid year for Maggie. Um, and she made many, many uh, strides. So uh, from real-world evidence, you know, things like being able to compare videos of her sitting and doing kind of um, call and response exercises, learning exercise with her mom and noticing, you know, that she's just sitting more stably. Normally she was very unstable with her core. And then after three months of treatment, she was sort of able to sit for stretches of period or stretches of time without, without moving uh, or jerking around or having, having core stability. So that was you know, pretty interesting. Uh, she stopped face planting within, I think even the first few days of taking the drug. And that was like the first sign that the parents noticed that something's different, <laughs> something's going on. And it can't just be explained by the natural history. Like, you know, kids don't spontaneously just improve uh, with, with this disease. And then, then other things started to crop up like conversations that Maggie wasn't able to have before uh, because she just didn't produce the volume of words or was doing more kind of parroting speech. And she started to actually open up and have conversations. And her mom described, her parents described having legitimate conversations with their child kind of for the first time. And that's something I take, I have a six-year-old and have always sort of taken for granted. Um, and, 11, and I have a 20-month-old coming up behind him and just take for granted that, you know, they'll reach these milestones. But, you know, that wasn't the case for this disease and for many kids like that. So all, another piece of evidence was Maggie started to color. You know, before she didn't really know how to color within the lines. It wasn't even something she was able to do. Now she can, you know, spend long periods of time doing very careful drawings and, and is much more artistic, <laughs> more artistic ability, artistic ability than my six-year-old, um, you know, who's sort of, sort of quote unquote typical. So I think that all those pieces of rural evidence started to, you know, make it seem that the drug was doing something. And then we got like quantitative data to back it up. So in, in the case of this disease, there's a marker called transferrin, um, which is used to sort of uh, diagnose the disease actually. And that marker, that biomarker normalized. It went from the abnormal range to the normal range and it stayed there. Uh, Maggie's weight has improved, which I think is part of her, um, she gained weight literally. And it's part of, uh, uh, it's a big challenge for these kids who normally have to take in lots of calories and basically have a very difficult time of putting on weight. And now she's got muscle mass and her braces, her orthotic braces weren't fitting in. So all across the board, there were just improvements from cognition to things that we can measure in her blood and things we can measure in her urine and, and so forth that told us that the drug is having a positive effect. Now, to be clear, it's not a cure, but it's certainly a, uh, a major series of levels up from where she was pre-treatment. And we think it puts her body and mind in a position to then be more receptive to the next wave of therapies that we want coming down the pike. Because again, power set is just this uh, beginning of a, of a, of a cure odyssey uh, and, we, and, and we're off to a great start, but we're by no means finished. That is excellent to hear about Maggie's progress. That, that is fantastic. We have about uh, five more minutes left. Um, maybe we could take it to inspire the families that might be listening, you yeah. know, um, let them kind of know where the journey is going to go. Like, where are we going to go with Maggie's Pearl? Um, you know, what are we going to yeah. do? There's other kids out there. How are we going to, you know, what's going to be the next steps? Yeah, the next steps are currently underway. So we're, we're going to be hopefully able to launch uh, a phase 2B3 trial, um, an open label study uh, at Mayo Clinic, a single site under the direction of uh, Dr. Uh, Abe Moravikosic. Um, and we hope to enroll up to 30 kids in this uh, trial. We're just finishing up the, the IND paperwork uh, sort of 
you know, as we speak um, and getting a hold of the drug supply and all those other things you have to do to, 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 to actually go from an N of one to a, to a proper multi-patient IND. So all that's in the works right now. We're really hopeful um, that we'll be able to send off our IND uh, uh, very, very shortly. Uh, and if we get the green light um, within 30 days, which is sort of um, what the expectation would be, then we've already started to talk to families. In fact, we've been holding a series of virtual town hall meetings with interested PMM2 families to just go through what the trial would involve to, to, re, to retell Maggie's uh, journey. And so, yeah, we, we're very excited that we've identified more than 30 PMM2 families already who, who have expressed interest in, in their kids enrolling in this pediatric trial. Uh, so, yeah, we're just getting all of our ducks in a row, and, and, and we're really hopeful that uh, within the next four to six weeks, we're, we're able to announce that the trial has been given a green light and that we'll be begin dosing patients soon thereafter. Uh, so we're very excited. And, and of course, as you mentioned before, Maggie's Pearl is this entity that's kind of now um, in place, and that was always by design. So Perlara and Maggie's Cure, which is the foundation, which is a not even a foundation, just an LLC that the Carmichael family established to work with uh, Perlara on a Pearl Quest. That Pearl Quest has now essentially blossomed into this joint venture that we call Maggie's Pearl, which is co-owned by by Maggie's uh, Maggie's Cure and Perlara, and and also our partner Mayo Clinic. Um, we're just wrapping up a deal with them that we'll be able to formalize, and they're 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 we're very excited to have them as a partner too. So yeah, I would say stay tuned. You can follow Maggie's Pearl's journey on Twitter at Apalrestat, E-P-A-L-R-E-S-T-A-T. -E and we also have a Facebook page um, and we'll be just sort of going to the airwaves and the social media uh, to, to provide further announcements on, on Maggie's Pearl and as the Apalrestat trial comes together. Okay, well, excellent. I mean, it's a it's it's such an amazing win-win story that we're getting here, um, you know, with the, with the the effort going forward, um, the, the progress with Maggie, exciting to be hearing what's going to go on with this, this trial with the kids. And you know, hopefully all those kids will see this uh, great movement. This is starting to happen in rare disease. This is pretty amazing. 7,000 genes that are potentially involved in rare disease. And this is just one of them. You know, so so for the for the families that are out there listening, they might be asking the question, you know, okay, well, great for 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 that gene, but how about right. my gene? Yeah. What, what are we going to do about mine? It's likely there's going to be a lot of solution there. So we got about two more minutes left. Perhaps you could just sort of say, you know, what what almost almost what do you suggest is the the way to engage and, and to utilize the power of model organisms, simple model organisms as a tool to jumpstart and, and repurpose drugs and get get cures out to these kids. I mean, another major learning of Perlara scientifically was that certain kinds of diseases were going to be better modeled in 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 lower and I hate using the word lower, but in simple, and he even using the word simple, but in in worms okay. and flies and and yeast and and so forth. Um, so I, I think the first step you have to do, and this is all something you can look up online, is really understand whether your gene and uh, is is one of these genes that's in that's that's very conserved evolutionarily. In other words, where what's going on in the yeast and in the worms and in the flies is pretty much at the cell level and even at the molecular level what's going on in, in humans. So I think that the, the, what you can do is, and, and I can tell you that inborn errors of metabolism, for example, are, are a group of um, genetic diseases that fit really well with model organisms and where model organisms really shine. So core metabolism, not so surprising, I guess. Uh, there, are other, there are other swaths of biology where there is really good um, kind of compatibility and, and modelability in, in these organisms, but there are gonna be also diseases where we also learned that 
it's probably you're barking up the wrong tree because there's simply not enough evolutionary conservation. And that's okay. Uh, so I would say for families out there, you know, there's so much information out your fingertips. And I think the first thing you can establish is, is my gene and my pathway in, in a conserved pathway? Is my gene part of a very ancient evolutionarily conserved pathway such that I can model what's going on pathologically in a simple organism and not lose out on what's really going on in, in the human case. So I think that, you know, you, you can reach out to me, reach out to you. We, we, can, we can kind of give you that yes or no assessment about a gene as to whether it looks like it's, it, it smells like it's a good fit because it's still kind of um, art as much as it's science at this stage. But I hope that, that that process of selecting genes and understanding, are they compatible for model organisms? We can have essentially a combination of AI and, and OI, organic intelligence, us, you know, basically rendering a verdict to say, we think this is a go or, or no go. And then, and then people can uh, kind of be empowered from there. And I would tell people, if it's not a good fit for your disease, that's okay. There are other experimental modalities and treatment modalities that are out there besides small molecule repurposing. And there will be an individualized path for you. Uh, so don't, don't worry. And there are resources like us out there to help guide you in those early moments to, just to make sure that you understand what your choices are. Hope that helps. Excellent, Ethan. And we have uh, pretty much burned up our, our 17 minutes of science. And I'd like to thank the audience for listening. And I'd like to thank uh, Ethan for, 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 for an excellent uh, uh, session here. And uh, thank you, everybody, for attending. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for honor for inviting me. And yeah, looking forward to any feedback people want to send 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 my way. And of course, Perlara and IBB are working together. So yeah, we'd love to be able to consider uh, you know families if they look like they're a fit. So reach, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, please don't hesitate to reach out to, to either either Ethan or I, because uh, or, or our company uh, uh, IBB. Um, we'd love to be there for you to see if we can help guide you to the to the cures that will that will help your kids. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.